Welcome to the Wallaway. This is Imran Nanlawala, and I'm here with a friend of the show, a former guest, Dr. Ray Bailey. Dr. Ray is a chiropractic physician, board certified in intensive clinical nutrition, board eligible in homeopathy, and has a few hundred hours of training in other styles of modalities of health and healing. Dr. Ray, how you doing? Well, I'm doing well. Excellent, excellent. Dr. Ray, obviously we have the current fear and scare going around caused by the COVID-19, um, and our listeners are worried, they're anxious, they're wondering what they can do to protect themselves and their loved ones from a, a holistic healing perspective or a nutritional perspective. So quickly for us, could you could you explain from your understanding, how does COVID-19 affect and afflict the body? Well, like other viruses, it invades our cells and uses our cells to reproduce more of itself. It tends to start out, like people can read it on many websites, like the Centers for Disease Control, CDC, tends to start out what seems like a flu, but then it develops a respiratory component that usually uh, is noted by a dry cough. That develops into a pneumonia, and it can be dangerous. Uh, it seems to be a bit more dangerous than other flus we've had in recent years. A sign of hope is that the young don't seem to be as uh, in as much danger as uh, some of the past flus. That shows that a strong immune system can be better, uh, pr more protective for people. Um, so, so why don't we let's, why, uh, let's make sure our immune system is strong to help resist this. So why don't we focus on that part right there in terms of boosting okay. or strengthening our immune systems? And I know that you've created some type of handout for your patients uh, in regards yep. to, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, protecting yourself from getting COVID-19 and then certain things to do if you do uh, contract COVID-19. Is that correct? Uh, well, the handout that I have for once, if you get infected, that handout is called Treating COVID-19, and it gives some options that many mainstream physicians don't know about. But there is a handout that I give to patients in general called uh, Preventing the Infection. So what are some of the key components and elements? Let's, let's assume people don't have it yet and the listeners want to prevent it. What are some things that they should be doing? All right. Aside from things that uh, listeners have probably heard about in media, like washing your hands and sneezing and coughing into a handkerchief or less preferably the, uh, your elbow sleeve, let's look at some nutritional components that one we can do. These nutritional components that I'm going to talk about uh, at first year that are in my handout are from a website called orthomolecular.org, O-R-T-H-O, molecular.org. Orthomolecular science is about getting the biochemistry of the body correct. Ortho means right or correct. So um, all these things, I'm glad to say, are things, frankly, we should be addressing anyway. They are things that often are deficient in people. So even if we weren't currently talking about a risky disease going around, uh, really we should be doing these things anyway. Uh, 
All right, first up, vitamin C. Uh, we are one of the very few animals on the planet that don't make vitamin C for ourselves from sugar. For example, a goat that weighs the same as the average adult human would be making for itself about 10,000 to 14,000 milligrams of vitamin C a day, constantly making it around the clock, also destroying it. But the point is, is that the tissues get full of vitamin C, and it's there in case it's needed. Um, to pick one tissue, uh, white blood cells. White blood cells are very important in fighting any enemy. Usually most people can saturate their white blood cells with vitamin C. That the, vitamins, the white blood cells have all the vitamin C they need by taking two to 3,000 milligrams of vitamin C a day. Orthomolecular.org goes with 3,000 just to, just to uh, as a minimum just to uh, make sure that this happens. Um, I don't pe recommend that people automatically take a lot more than that because there's a cascade effect where other things need to be balanced with it. But I got no problems with 3,000 milligrams of vitamin C for people in general. The exception is, as I say at the beginning of my handout, if people have concerns about their particular health condition, for example, they're on drugs, then they should consult with me or some other physician that knows about what these larger amounts of nutrients uh, can do. For example, vitamin C boosts phase one detoxification of the liver. When we encounter a toxin, we have three phases, phase one, Phase two, phase three. Phase one oxidizes the toxin. Vitamin C is one of the things that helps do that. Phase two conjugates it, and three, we excrete the toxin. There are some people where phase two is not good, and you boost phase one, and you actually end up with them suffering more from toxins. That's about 10% of the population. Those people tend to be, for example, uh, nauseated by perfumes, have uh, problems with other common toxins that they, that they encounter in the environment that the rest of us shrug off as not being uh, not bothered by. So if you're one of those people that seems to be more sensitive, more nauseated, headachy, or whatever, by things in the environment, let's be cautious about boosting vitamin C and instead consult with somebody like me to boost your phase two first. And then we can boost phase one. All right, that's vitamin C. Let me, let me ask you a quick yeah. question, Dr. Ray. So does it matter what form yeah. they take the vitamin C in, whether it's a powder, a liquid? Oh, th thanks for asking. And uh, I was also just, I should have said something else just to be ethical here that if you're on drugs and vitamin C increases detoxification, most drugs, most pharmaceuticals are perceived by the body as poisons, toxins, and get detoxified. So there are some people on some drugs that when you boost the vitamin C, now the drug is being detoxified faster and therefore it doesn't work as well. Uh, really, in the long run, what we need is people super healthy, optimally healthy, and therefore, they won't need as many drugs. All right, forms of vitamin C. Um, 
we're in, we have been for a while, despite the claims of some, in tough times economically, and this corona pandemic is going to put us in even tougher times for a while. So some people who are financially challenged might want to go for the cheapest vitamin C they can. The cheapest vitamin C I'm aware of is getting pure powder and then mix that into uh, your drinks, uh, not hot because that destroys vitamin C. Uh, for example, drinking water a few times a day. Cheapest source of that that's pure, uh, they give analysis, a lab analysis of each batch, so I know it's pure, is bulk supplements.com. You can buy vitamin C by the uh, grams worth, 100 grams, 500 grams, kilo, whatever. That's the cheapest version version of vitamin C I know. You can get that online, bulksupplements.com. More effective uh, is the various ascorbates like magnesium ascorbate. It's a bit more absorbable and it certainly is less irritating to the GI tract. If you're somebody that has an irritated GI tract, by the way, let's fix that. That's not healthy to have an irritable GI tract. Uh, the ascorbates and bulk supplements might have ascorbates. I haven't looked. Uh, best is the liposomal vitamin C's. Uh, there's one expert who claims that the company he consults for, Live On, L-I-V-O-N, is the best liposomal I don't yet have a way of determining who's got the best liposomal vitamin C. But uh, based upon the case studies that he cites, it looks like liposomal vitamin C might be as good as even dripping vitamin C directly into the blood, which is one successful therapy for uh, dealing with coronavirus infection. Orthomolecular.org is keeping track of... uh, clinical trials on using intravenous vitamin C to deal with the virus. That's looking very good. Okay. okay. So it's forms of vitamin C. Pre- appreciate Thanks it. for asking. No problem. And what's, what's the next on the list? Okay, next one is vitamin D, as in daily. Vitamin D, and we want three. The cheaper vitamin D2 is from vegetable sources, it competes with D3. D3 is what you make when ultraviolet light sun gets exposed on your skin. We are supposed to be exposing ourselves to enough sun to make vitamin D3 for ourselves. Sun is healthy in that way. Uh, Not so much sun that we burn our skin and make us prone to skin cancer, but enough to make D3. Um, I have yet to see in practice somebody whose vitamin D3 blood level is where it should be. Everybody I've seen has had uh, to supplement with some. Um, The orthomolecular.org recommends that people supplement with 2,000 units a day. Well, that's a good guess. Frankly, to get people up to the blood level that is most effective for the immune system People often need more. However, two things. One is don't guess. Let's get it lab tested. You want to take more than 2,000 units a day because you think you might need it? Well, let's get lab tested. The test is 25-hydroxy-D3. 
or 25-hydroxy-C colocalciferol. That's what we're actually measuring. Vitamin D3 itself doesn't do us any good in the body. It needs to be converted to 25-hydroxy and then on to the most bioactive form. So what we measure is 25-hydroxy-D3. But most physicians don't know that or don't care about that. They just call it a vitamin D level. That's okay. That's what the lab is measuring, 25-hydroxy-D3. Okay. Uh, to, so that's point one. If you're thinking of taking more, well, let's measure. Let's let's get a baseline, and then you take whatever you think uh, you might be needing, and then retest down the road, let's say in six weeks. The other is bioactivated vitamin D, the fully functional form of vitamin D, moves calcium around. Now, it might move calcium from your bones into hardening arteries or causing bone spurs, or calcifying the pineal gland, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so one of the things we do is that as we increase the vitamin D level, we make sure calcium isn't getting too high in the blood. Uh, one parathyroid hormone expert that I'm uh, dealing with currently is suspicious of any serum or plasma calcium level, it would actually be plasma, that's above 10. Well, a lot of reference labs, a lot of labs we send our blood samples to, the so-called normal range is uh, is up to 10.4. So I'm looking into his citations about that. But we certainly don't want to have the calcium going above 10.4. That shows that there might be, for example, uh, tumors in the parathyroid gland that are being stimulated by this higher vitamin D level. So we want to monitor calcium as we increase our D. Hmm. And we want to make sure that calcium knows where to go. To put it simplistically, without getting into a lot of biochemistry, vitamin K's, K and, vitamin, and magnesium tell calcium where to go. Vitamin K's are in fresh vegetables, especially leafies, also in fish. And magnesium, I have yet to lab test somebody on magnesium, and their diet alone was sufficient. Everybody I test, magnesium is deficient. Now, what lab tests to do? The one that most commonly done, and the one that health insurance fairly rarely pays for, is to look at blood magnesium, serum or plasma magnesium. Uh, sure, if that's low, yeah, that's a sign that things aren't good. But you can have that normal and still the tissues don't have the magnesium they need. The test to do that's reasonable on price is RBC magnesium level. I have a uh, MD functional medicine, MD board certified cardiologist I work with. He likes to do buccal, which is cheek cells because it is correlated to heart health better, but that is hundreds of dollars more. RPC magnesium is really close in accuracy to that. And now all the major labs here in Chicagoland do it. So RBC magnesium level, we want that to be between 6.0 and 6.5. Then I feel okay about increasing vitamin D lab tests up to the level of 60, which is better for the immune system, 
maybe even 70 or 80 if you've got some immune system problems going on like allergies or autoimmunity. But we need that magnesium level up there. Otherwise, we risk that the increased vitamin D is going to encourage calcification of things we don't want calcified. So get that magnesium up there, really important. Now, taking a cue from you <laughs> about <laughs> what form, the vitamin D3, there's lots of companies that sell vitamin D3. I'm not going to talk about that. But magnesium, again, around price, the cheapest per penny uh, magnesium that's effective is magnesium water. You make it yourself. Uh, I make it for myself and I make it for a friend. It's a two-liter bottle of seltzer, carbonated water. For example, Juul right now has a sale going on on that. And it's a tablespoon of uh, magnesium hydroxide powder. Magnesium hydroxide powder you can buy very cheap from BulkSupplements.com. And you get that seltzer as cold as you can. And you put that tablespoon of stuff in there as fast as you can. Quickly seal the cap because it's going to start bubbling over. And you shake it up for 30 seconds. And every few hours for the next few hours, you reshake it. What's going to happen as the carbon dioxide and the seltzer combines with the magnesium hydroxide, the plastic's actually going to collapse up. And eventually you're going to see that the whole thing is nice and clear, no more powder. What you've got there is a solution of magnesium bicarbonate, which is one of the two most absorbable forms of magnesium, and it's the cheapest. And it also helps increase your alkaline reserves. When we're in good health, the alkaline reserves in our tissues are very high. For example, it helps preserve our bones. When we're in ill health, we tend towards the acid side inside our tissues. We've depleted our alkaline reserve. So such a deal. It's cheap. One of the versions that helps prevent cancer, one of the two best versions for absorption, and increases our alkaline reserve. I personally like the taste of it. I uh, stick some into my drinking water. I think it's very tasty. But it is very minerally tasting. The other very absorbable version of magnesium is magnesium glycinate, but that's more expensive. Now, how much magnesium? Well, orthomolecular.org takes a guess and says 400. That's a good guess. I haven't seen anybody on whatever diet, even a great diet, need less than 300 to get that RBC magnesium level uh, up to 6 to 6.5. I've seen some people need a whole lot more. It's hard to get magnesium into tissues, so my my hope always for people who need a whole lot more is that once the tissues are full of magnesium, then we can cut back on the intake and they don't need to be supplementing so much. But uh, 400 milligrams, as they say, is, is a good guess. If you go to orthomolecular.org and look at their stuff, uh, which I highly recommend. Like I said, they're keeping track of using, for example, intravenous vitamin C to uh, to treat coronavirus. If you look at their recommendation, they're saying citrate, malate, chelate, or chloride form. They're not mentioning glycinate. I don't know why. It is uh, true that uh, the ones they're mentioning there tend to be the ones that 
in past decades, mainstream uh, medicine was recommending glycinate, much more absorbable. Malate is helpful in that it boosts energy. So if you're going to do malate, I suggest not doing it towards the end of the day. It can boost energy and endurance. Citrate is uh, actually magnesium citrate is uh, historically a laxative, but it helps relax nerves and muscles. So if you're somebody who um, where muscles are too tight or having trouble sleeping, etc., magnesium citrate might be helpful. But if it loosens your bowels, that means it's acting as a laxative. So be careful about that one. Uh, chelate, well, that's glycinate or other things. And chloride, chloride is one of the things that can increase your blood pressure. So I don't recommend chloride. So magnesium water or glycinate. So, so far we have um, vitamin C. C, E3, and magnesium. Okay. What's what's the next one on the list? <laughs> I'm sorry, interrupted you. No, no, it's okay. All right, Next one is zinc. Uh, another one where pretty much anyone I've ever lab tested, their zinc is deficient. Very common deficiency. The lab test to do the lab test is RBC or white blood cell level of zinc. Um, I use a reference lab. Reference lab means that you send it to a lab that's outside of your local area not one of the common local labs. I use a reference lab in North Carolina where I send them the sample, and they measure a whole long list of minerals in red blood cells, including magnesium and zinc, and also, by the way, including mercury and some toxic minerals. And that's cheaper to do that panel than to order each test individually from local labs. Um, to get zinc into the reference range that that, that lab uh, uses the so-called normal range, which we hope is the optimal range. A lot of times people need quite a bit of zinc for a while, and then we can pull back. Orthomolecular.org is recommending 20 milligrams a day. That's a good guess. That's good. Um, at 20 also, we probably won't soon get into a copper deficiency. Zinc and copper need to be balanced in the body. Copper, for example, helps you use iron so that you can make red blood cells. I've had people where the lab says they have an anemia, and it looks like an iron deficiency anemia, but actually their iron levels are okay. And so I, we give them some copper, and up, oh, there we are, resolved. Copper also in and of itself is antimicrobial, for example. If we had copper clad or bronze, because bronze contains, or brass, because both of those alloys contain copper, if we had bronze, brass, or copper clad poles in our public transport systems, doorknob handles, uh, bed rails, all the places people touch, we'd have way less transmission of viruses, bacteria, et cetera. Copper kills on contact. I just archived a study that showed when you put the coronavirus on copper, it only lasts about four hours, whereas when you put it on stainless steel, it can last even days. So, um, I'm sorry, I'm. What what's so I'm particular? What's so particular about copper that it can? 
I guess, kill or, or be effective against the coronavirus? Well, minerals are, we need minerals for our health, but also minerals can be toxic. Uh, it's just the way things evolved that when copper gets inside of cells and the level is too high, it, uh, it inactivates DNA and RNA, the genetic material. Uh, and thus poisoning the cell. Uh, copper is one of those minerals that we need, but we don't want it to be too, too high. That's why, for example, some multi-vitamin uh, and mineral supplements don't have copper at all, because they just don't want to risk that your copper gets too high. And uh, so, for example, the zinc that I give people is by Jarro, J-A-R-R-O-W, and it's called Zinc Balance. And it has a reasonably cautious ratio of zinc to copper. Uh, it's not likely that somebody taking that zinc is going to get into copper deficiency. And it's not likely they're going to get into copper toxicity, even if their diet is rich in copper. And some water supplies in the United States, for example, in Georgia, uh, there are some water supplies that are high in copper. So the orthomolecular.org um, recommendation of 20 milligrams a day is probably okay. We're probably not going to get into copper deficiency anytime soon. But still, I would say let's add in some copper, for example, the zinc balance by Gerald, just in case. Personally, a patient of mine, if I put them on zinc, I'm going to be down the road checking to make sure, well, for one, that the zinc they're taking is working, and for two, that we haven't gotten into copper deficiency. Uh, I prefer the lab test dimension, RBC level of zinc and copper, frankly, other minerals too. But for people who are quite financially poor, I do a guess on that uh, with a kind of an applied kinesiology test called the Solifounce test, and then a lingual challenge with copper. Uh, zinc, there's also a guess test you can do. I, I don't recommend tests that I'm labeling as guess estimation tests in the long run, but in the short run, okay, all right. But in the long run, let's actually do the proper test. The estimation test is a zinc tally. It turns out that when you're zinc deficient, the vast majority of people their sense of taste for certain tastes decreases. And for the vast majority of people, when their zinc is more sufficient, a solution of zinc is going to taste terrible. <laughs> so the zinc tally, you put some of this zinc solution in your mouth, you, you buy the bottle, for example, Metagenics has it, and other companies have it too. You put a certain amount of the zinc solution in your mouth, and then I ask people, I don't tell them ahead of time what it's going to taste like. I ask them, and if after uh, 15 seconds they don't taste anything, well, very highly likely they're quite zinc deficient. If they have, if they're somewhat deficient, I've gotten all kinds of descriptions of taste. I've had salty, sweet. Twice in the decades, I've heard people say puffy. What kind of taste is puffy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but twice I've heard people say that. Okay, whatever. Whereas you give that zinc solution to me, and even at my age, I'm 71, 
you give it to me, and I, I'm going to spit it back out. It's going to taste terrible to me. But there are some people, either because of genetics or drugs they're on, they'll, they'll never get to the terrible stage. So, for example, metagenic as a bottle is you then use the solution to supplement yourself. Well, that's an expensive version of zinc. I would say put the zinc tally in the fridge because uh, microbes are going to love growing in that stuff. Uh, put it in the fridge, and every time you go to test yourself, shake the bottle a little, see if there's any floaties in it. If there's floaties, mm -hmm. that means microbes. Toss it out. Interesting. And just keep retesting yourself, whatever zinc level it is you're taking, and see if you can get more to the point that it tastes terrible. Okay. So All right, so that's the zinc. Correct. All right, next up, selenium. They're saying 100 micrograms a day. That's another one. Selenium is another one where we have a sharp peak of effectiveness. Uh, we don't have a broad range of selenium you can take that's good. Uh, we need selenium, but it can become toxic in higher dosages. 1,000 micrograms is a good guess on probably enough without getting into danger. Personally, I use a version of selenium that's combined with uh, cysteine and methionine. Uh, I always forget the name, the order. Selenocystomethionine? Or is it cystoselenomethionine? I forget. Mm. Uh, the brand I use is by Gero, and it's their selenium synergy. The reason they combined it with those two amino acids, cysteine and methionine, is because if you need to detoxify selenium, if you've got too much selenium in your body, for example, there's some areas in the world where the plants have, that people eat or the water that they drink is too high in selenium, uh, it's those two amino acids that bind to selenium and you help get it out of the body that way. So it's a safer way of getting selenium in. For example, Back before the AIDS drugs got so good, we had a very famous, nationally famous uh, complementary therapies clinic here in Chicago, the AIDS Alternative Health Project. We used uh, selenium in much higher amounts than 100 to boost the T cells and help fight the virus. <clears throat> so I would say, sure, orthomolecular.org, 100 micrograms of, of selenium, I would prefer it be that selenium is bound in with uh, methionine and cysteine, or at least methionine. Uh, there are many companies that have that one. And eventually, down the road, again, RPC level. You see that panel that I use, how handy it is? Get a whole bunch of these things tested at once. Selenium also, by the way, is one of the things that can help uh, get mercury out of the body. I have yet to test, I'll say virgin, uh, somebody who hasn't been working on getting mercury out of their body yet. I've yet to test somebody, oh, naive, there's a better word. I've yet to test a naive patient who, and find uh, somebody who doesn't have mercury. Every naive patient has mercury in their body from somewhere, from fish, for, well, we're getting into an age, thankfully, that not all dentists are using mercury alloys anymore. But selenium is one of the things that helps prevent the body from being poisoned by mercury. By the way, so is vitamin C. 
and so is cilantro if you can stand the taste of cilantro. So there's uh, what orthomolecular.org said, selenium, zinc, magnesium, vitamin D3, and vitamin C. If we have time in this talk, I would like to go further than that. So, Dr. Ray, I really appreciate uh, the breakdown of those supplements and, 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 and the other supplements that are needed uh, in the case of zinc uh, and whatnot. So what are some other beneficial uh, things that we should consider and keep in mind? Okay. So there are other websites that have a longer list than orthomolecular.org, but that can get into uh, perhaps not quite as cost-effective. Uh, you know, you can really go excessive on buying supplements. All right. Uh, some other things that aren't common to consider. One, just plain old hydration. When we breathe in, if, for example, we're in a social situation where somebody is infected, and they don't know it, and they're out there uh, coughing, sneezing, or even just breathing out the virus on droplet particles, uh, and it lands in our nose and throat and starts to infect us, we want to be thoroughly hydrated so that the mucus that's lining all the wet surfaces of our respiratory tract can trap the virus and move it on down into the stomach to be destroyed. So we want to be hydrated. I have a way of checking hydration, as do some other physicians have a way of checking it, by bioimpedance analysis. That's the hardware and the software, cells and fluids. Um, again, every naive patient I've ever checked is not fully hydrated. I have to tell people how to hydrate. On the average, to make the BIA analysis, the bioimpedance analysis look good, People have to take the body weight, divide by two, and that's how many ounces a day to get in. So 150-pound person, that's 75 ounces. Ounces of water. Water can be inside of food. If it's caffeinated water, the water may not count as much. If it's sugary water, it won't count as much. If they're sweating a lot, they need more water. If they haven't humidified their abode or working place, to 40 to 60% humidity uh, during the winter when things are dry, they need more water. Okay, so that's water. Second one is that a lot of people are mildly low thyroid. Uh, Broda Barnes Foundation talks about this online and recommends uh, checking armpit temperature, and I'll leave it up to, to people to go do that. I will point out on lab testing that the TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone test that is most commonly done, can give you a false negative. In other words, you look at that test and go, oh, hey, I'm okay. It can give you a false negative if cortisol, that's a stress hormone, is too high. Uh, estrogen is too high. In a lot of women, estrogen is too high compared to their detoxification capacity and compared to progesterone. Uh, or if reverse T3, your thyroid gland puts out T4, which is not thyroid hormone, and then it's converted to T3 by various tissues. That is your thyroid hormone. If you don't have enough selenium, uh, we talked about selenium earlier, if you don't have enough selenium and or too much stress, you convert it to reverse T3, which competes with regular T3. Fortunately, selenium also gets rid of reverse T3. 
It's a reverse T3 level too high. Again, TSH can be fooled. So if you want to get into lab testing, we've got to look at free T3 and free reverse T3, not just rely on TSH. But start with, it's cheap. Start with the armpit temperature. Uh, next up, as research showed long ago during the AIDS crisis, that if your cell membranes don't have the proper kinds of fat and ratios of fat in them, then viruses can more easily penetrate and get inside. The main one that people are deficient, again, every naive patient I've ever tested is deficient in this, EPA and DHA. That's the human bioactive omega-3s. Plant omega-3s like in flaxseed and walnuts do almost nothing. Uh, we can convert them a little tiny bit into human bioactive omega-3, but the conversion ratio in people tends to be 17 or 30 to 1. That's very poor. Uh, we need to ingest EPA and DHA. So look at, uh, for example, the Monterey Bay Sea Aquarium list of safer uh, fish to eat. Or look at the Environmental Working Group, uh, EWG, their list of safer fish, and get your omega-3s that way. Or supplement. If we supplement with EPA and DHA, we want high purity. We don't want mercury in there. And we don't want it to be rancid from having been oxidized. Uh, Nordic Naturals tends to have the highest purity I've seen. Metagenics look to be the same as them. But frankly, much cheaper and okay quality are places like uh, Douglas Labs, for example. And then we see more cost-effective pure EPA and DHA. How much EPA and DHA? Well, most people need to do at least 1,200 milligrams a day to start making the lab test look good. I've had some people have to do much more than that. Um, the lab test is at the cheapest and okay accuracy is called the EPA index. Uh, I see that the biggest lab here in Chicagoland, Quest, now has combined two tests into one. It's the EPA to arachidonic acid ratio and the EPA percent in the blood. That's good. Best is, uh, again, the reference lab I use is RBC membrane lipid analysis. So down the road, once it's the cheaper test is looking good down the road, then do that. EPA and DHA uh, also help our immune system not only be strong, but stay young. As we age, if we're not being careful about our immune system, immunosenescence, senescence means aging, sets in. Immunosenescence means that your immune system doesn't fight the enemy, for example, microbes coming in that are bad, nor cancer that might be growing. But on the other hand, the immune system fights you. You get autoimmunities, and the immune system fights things that are beneficial, like in allergies. EPA and DHA and vitamin C and all these other things I've talked about help bring the immune system back to where it should be. So uh, EPA and DHA. EPA and DHA are in balance with something called GLA, which is what our body should be making from omega-6 fats, but more often we make inflammatory things from omega-6. 
So for every four milligrams of EPA and DHA you take, do as a guess one milligram of GLA. Then down the road, month, year, two, we can do the RBC membrane lipid analysis and actually make sure that EPA, DHA, and monounsaturated fats like an olive oil, avocados, uh, everything is all in balance with each other. You also might want to consider doing uh, coconut oil if you aren't allergic to it. Unfortunately, more and more people are allergic to coconut oil because it's in our toothpaste and soaps, and people have been overexposed. But there's a, a study going on right now about using an ex, a, a version of lauric acid, which is the coconut oil, to help fight coronavirus using uh, monolaurin, which we've used successfully in the past with Epstein-Barr virus. That's the one that makes uh, mono. Uh, next up, vitamin B6. Um, vitamin B6 does a whole bunch of good things for our immune system. For example, when I test people around stress, I do something called the adrenal stress index, which measures their cortisol levels over the day. If cortisol is too high, that's going to suppress the immune system. So the lab I use, which is a research lab in addition to the clinical, tosses in for free secretory IgA testing. All the wet surfaces, you know, we're told not to touch our face. That's really about not touching the wet surfaces. We don't want the virus touching the wet surfaces because it will zip into our body. Whereas our dry surfaces, our hands, etc., the virus is going to have a hard time getting through the skin. Um, and we should also be cautioning people not to be touching uh, the vagina or anus because, again, wet surface. All the wet surfaces, the immune system is putting out secretory IgA antibody into that wetness, that mucus, and it excludes the virus from attaching to us, and it helps signal the immune system come and act this virus. When I do that adrenal stress index to people to check their stress levels, Often, secretory IgA is low. Well, aside from addressing the stress, the stress coping techniques, the nutrients that help bring that secretory IgA back up include zinc, C, which we've already talked about, but also B6. The neural research people, uh, their research and clinical people, have, uh, as of last fall, over four million patient days in their database and what they've determined is that all us humans could benefit from doing 100 milligrams of B6 a day. If you have any kind of neurological or psychological problem and it's mild, let's go for 200. If it's more severe, let's do 300. Now I want to point out that like the uh, vitamin D3, B6 does nothing in the body. You have to bioactivate it. And uh, bioactivation pathway, by the way, needs magnesium, which we've already talked about. And also, by the way, looking back, remember I said D3 needs to be bioactivated. That pathway needs magnesium. There's over 800 pathways that need magnesium. Magnesium is so necessary that a postdoc, when I taught the board-certifying sequence, the students ended up nicknaming me Dr. Magnesium. Anyway, B6. So 100, 200, 300. All right. 
that's the main extra things that I wanted to add in that many websites uh, are not talking. Sure, sure. So, and then now in the closing minute that we have, uh, just 60 seconds, give us your final advice to the people. People, are again, are panicking and they're worried, but should they be panicking as much as they are? And if they follow these nutritional guidelines and, you know, they're supplementing the right way, using science and evidence to figure out how much they need, you're definitely going to be you're definitely going to be safer from this virus and safer from flu and safer from many other kinds of infections we've been having infections for centuries let's make our immune system strong so we are safer and by the way the nice thing about doing nutrition if you're going to be helping the immune system you're also helping the brain the heart the skin the joints the bones Everything. Please help your whole being. Dr. Ray, we appreciate your time. I know it's very valuable. We thank you for all the detailed advice. And I'm hoping the, and I'll probably preface the posting of this podcast, but I'm going to make sure people have their notebooks ready because this is a lot of valuable information. So guys, <laughs> do benefit from it. And uh, yeah. Dr. Ray, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. All right, towards y'all's radiant health. <laughs> Thank you, sir.